The guest I have on today was quoted in Good Housekeeping magazine. I saw the quote, reached out, and the rest is history. Join us for this great conversation. Grab your coffee. You're not going to want to miss this one. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home. You'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. Today, I'm pleased to have with me Kate Eka. She is a licensed clinical social worker and the founder of The Unconventional Therapist. The Unconventional Therapist is a boutique therapy practice disrupting the mental health paradigm. Kate received her bachelor's in social work from Alvernia University and her master's in social work from Stockton University. Kate lives with her husband and daughter on their family farm in New Jersey with her five horses, 12 ducks, two goats, and eight chickens. And Kate and I are going to talk today about the importance of home and the mind-home connection. And Kate has some really great insight into that. And the other thing we're going to talk about is getting back to work. And it's pretty anxiety-producing because a lot of people, even though there were challenges during COVID working from home, a lot of people got used to that routine. And so going back now is anxiety producing along with the fact that you now have a commute if you've moved to the suburbs. So we are going to chat about it all. Here we go. Hi, Kate. Thank you for coming on the show with me today. I really appreciate you being here. Hey, Jill. Thanks for having me. Yes, this will be great. So I've already given you, you know, an introduction, but I wanted to let you kind of in your own words, let the audience know just a little bit about you, and then we can kind of get into everything. Sure. So I'm a therapist by trade. I went to school for social work and I realized that I, I loved helping people and I loved learning why people's brains work the way they do and how we can improve upon that and make it better. So that's why I became mm-hmm. a therapist. And I own a group practice called the Unconventional Therapist. And we see a wide range of people in my practice who have different mental health issues, but I, I myself specialize in trauma. That's great. So it's funny, I'll tell the audience, I actually discovered you because I happened to just pick up a random issue of Good Housekeeping magazine in the supermarket. I don't buy it regularly. For whatever reason, the cover attracted me. I grabbed it. And the first article I read had you quoted. And I was like, I'd love to ask her to come on my podcast. So I kind of searched you out on Instagram. And and here we are. So it's just kind of funny. So I wanted to start the show with talking about that quote. And I'll read a little bit of, you know, about it and give the background. But I want to talk about that quote and how it relates to furnishing a home. So in the article, it was referenced because it was more about, I think, more organizing in the home. And so you had said, you know, the simple act of taking care of our personal environments can be incredibly beneficial to our mental health. You're sending yourself the message that you care enough about yourself to take care of the space you live in. And the second part especially resonated with me when it comes to people neglecting furnishing their home. It happens all the time. They Mm -hmm. either have a room where they have things that they find uncomfortable. They don't want to walk in the room. They don't like the lighting. They don't like the color. It's a room they spend a lot of time in and they just don't do anything about it 
because for a lot of different reasons. Partially, they haven't really budgeted right. They're intimidated about design. All kinds of things come up. So that second part of the quote really did resonate because I have always felt that way. Like if you really care about yourself, your sofa shouldn't be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like you should feel... (laughs) Everyone, you know, you should be able to fall asleep and be comfortable in your own house. Like if there's any place on earth, you should feel comfort. It's your home, right? Mm -hmm. So I always said like, you know, if you neglect that, you're neglecting yourself. So I'd love for you to expand on that more. And that's, you know, kind of the gist of, of the topic with either leaving rooms empty or leaving them so dysfunctional, they don't work well. Well, I was just thinking about if you know someone or maybe you are that person who has a room in their house that's just become like a Christmas decoration room or a quote unquote craft room. And it's just a bunch mm-hmm. of junk that's thrown in boxes and that mm-hmm. you just don't have the energy to deal with. Most of it should probably go to the garage or the attic, but you just say, oh, I'm going to get to that project. Or it just quickly becomes a dumping spot in your house. The room is not functional. Yeah. What all that stuff represents is like all this stuff in your brain and your life that you don't want to deal with. That you're mm. saying, you know what? I can do it. And it's another day. That's another day. Yeah. But by going in and literally and metaphorically cleaning some of that stuff out, you're making room yep. for, for joy. You're making room physically in your home to experience life with your family, to make memories in that space. But when, you, when you're not doing that, you're, you're blocking yourself from that. And so like, why, why are you blocking yourself from that? Why are you taking away your opportunity to have some joy or have some clarity or have a physical space in your home that right. you, you like spending time in? So, you know, with clutter, it's easy to understand how it accumulates sometimes because we get busy, we don't organize. But when you actually leave a room, I have clients that leave rooms empty for years, meaning they haven't furnished them or they haven't furnished them properly. They're using an old sofa that they hate and they just are neglecting getting the room together in a way that would really just satisfy them so much better, both from a functional standpoint and a mood standpoint. Can you Mm -hmm. speak to that at all? So yeah. I guess my question, if, you, if that's what you're doing, if you're leaving an entire room empty in your home, is what are you saving it for? Is it like a special mm. occasion? It's not a bottle of champagne you put in the fridge. It's your house. You know, you, you know, it's it's meant to be lived in. And if it's if you're not sure about what the space should look like, spend some time in it. Just sit down yep. and just close your eyes. And think about when you first went, when you first bought the house or looked at the house, what did you envision for that room? Because mm-hmm. anyone who's ever bought a home, you walk room by room and you think, okay, mentally, I'm taking out everything that's in this room, the, the mm-hmm. previous owner's belongings, and I'm imagining my new life here, what my life is going to look like. So what was your dream for that room? What did you want right. in that room? What, what did you think? What kind of memories did you want to make with your family in that room? Mm-hmm. I think that's a good place to start if you're kind of unsure about how to move forward yeah. with a purpose for the room. That's a good place to start. But I would look at like, why are you, why are you leaving the room empty? What's coming up for mm-hmm. you? Is it fear? Are you afraid to make the wrong choice? Are you afraid to make the wrong decision? Mm-hmm. Do you see that with your clients? A lot. There's two things that have happened. One is that it gets exciting to buy a house and it's a big purchase. And you know, you gotta, you gotta, you buy it, you gotta get moved. And the first two things people typically are pretty good about planning for is they know they have to paint and do the floors in a lot of situations, not every, but in a lot. And after that, they've budgeted no money. Mm. And it's like, but you have all these extra rooms now and that are going to sit empty. And so my thing is like, you don't have to do it all at once, but you need to know 
what it's going to cost. So you can then have a plan for yourself. So you can say, well, in six months we can do this and, you know, and you can work in phases. So I encourage a plan, but some people neglect it literally for years. They don't even like try to figure out. And I have ways of giving tips of, of how much things cost. They almost just like avoid it thinking that I think a few things like what you said, they're afraid of a mistake. Interior design, I think our world, this world is intimidating to a lot of people. And I try to break that down because it should not be. So some people might feel intimidated by it, like either trying to do it themselves or even asking for help can feel intimidating. So I think there's a lot behind it. But ultimately, if it's been a few years and you're just uncomfortable, you have to start somewhere and you have to say, okay, I need a plan for this space. And everyone's plan can be different meaning some might hire help to do it, some might not. But even just figuring out what it's going to cost so you can say, okay, this is the amount of money I need to set aside each month to get to that goal, you know? Yeah, I was, you know, I was thinking about when I first bought my house. We live on a little farm and the house itself was horrific. My mom actually pulled me aside when we looked at the house and said, you can't buy this house. And I was like, oh, I know it's got, you know, it's a little rough. It's got good bones. <laughs> And she's like, no, it looks like a serial killer would live here. And she wasn't wrong by any means. <laughs> but I remember the overwhelm of her being in the space and like her projecting her own ideas about what the space should look like and what furniture I should buy. Yeah. And and I was like, and it took me a second to like step back. I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm married. I'm an adult. I, I have adult <laughs> money now. And I can design my home the way I want to. It doesn't have to look like a dollhouse version of the home I grew up in. And, you know, and that was a boundary right. I had to set with my mom as of saying, this is my space. This right. is how I want my space to look. So I'm wondering, you know, if some of that comes up for people where they've never really had a chance to, they've never had this much space that they were responsible for and kind of intimidating. And you've got all these competing yeah. opinions, maybe your spouse, and this is the first time you're living in a home where you and your spouse have like free reign to decorate. And now you've got this conversation of like, okay, so I know that we've lived with this, you know, black, ugly entertainment center for a really long time, but we don't have to do that anymore. So right. like navigating those conversations can be difficult too. And sometimes it's just easier just to say, you know what, forget it. We're not going to do it at all. Instead of having a typical conversation, let's just uh, not act like it's there. Yeah. Because then it's avoidance and it just, you can avoid the conflict of it because a lot of times spouses don't hundred percent agree, but you know, there is always a compromise. Like one thing I do mm -hmm. with spouses who have some different views of how it wants to work is that I can always find a compromise, you know, and there's mm -hmm. always a way to compromise. And sometimes the compromise might even be, okay, then like you get to control what's going to happen in the family room, but then I get to pick all the stuff for the kitchen. Sometimes it's that way. Or within a room, there's compromise on style. 99.9% .9 of the time I can find a compromise where a couple can meet halfway and both like it. So yeah, I think that's important. I think you bring up a good point that all of it combined, all the things we just talk about, make it really easy to avoid. But ultimately, when you're avoiding all of that, you're avoiding your needs and your family's mm -hmm. needs. And so it can really spiral down and be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So having said that, let's discuss a little bit the mind-home connection and how our homes contribute to our mental health. So our home, if I kind of picture your home, is your entire life summed up. So when someone walks into mm -hmm. your home, they should see who you are and where you've been. Most of the time, our homes reflect our current mental state. If we walk into your house right now and it looks like a, 
a tornado just ripped through it, I can probably guess that there's a lot of stuff going on emotionally for you in your life that's very chaotic mm-hmm. and your home is now becoming this representation of it. Because we're, you know, we've had a rough day at work and we grab the mail and we toss it on the counter. You know, we throw our keys on the side table and then we start making dinner and just, and then suddenly those little things of just not putting the mail in the basket or not hanging up our keys, it slowly starts to become the snowball where now our home is just in disarray. It's very chaotic. Things are everywhere. We don't know where yeah. we put things last because that's what our brain feels like. It's chaotic. We don't know where, where we put things. So it's important to recognize that if things are chaotic in your life, you're going through like, you know, work is stressful, you and your spouse are not agreeing, your kids are driving you nuts, that you don't allow your home to become a representation of that because it's just going to continue to feed those feelings in your outside Mm -hmm. of the home. Yeah. And I think conversely, if you do take some time and kind of like straighten up the kitchen, put some things away, you almost can think a little more clearly. All right. And like sort of calm all the stuff going on in the brain down a little, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I know our, one of our like weekend traditions, my husband bought a, a waffle maker for our last anniversary because the theme was iron. <laughs> so he likes to make waffles on the weekends and I'll watch him pull out the waffle maker and there's like, you know, there's mail on the island and I have a toddler. So there's probably a Barbie doll up there and, and he's just <laughs> kind of like working around it. And I'm like, she took like three seconds to just like put the Barbie doll like in her playroom, put the mail away. Like you wouldn't be like shuffling things or like making, you know, making waffles like on top of our bills. Like, you know, and so, right. And it's stressful. To, I'm sure it's stressful for him to cook that way. It's stressful for me to watch him cook that way. So like the, just taking, right. you know, five minutes to clean up and pick up and put away. We create this clear space where now we can work we can get creative, yeah. we can dream. Yeah. And we can, you know, even just things yes. like cooking are a lot easier when there's not physical stuff everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think the same thing, it's like if you have a room that you're not using in your house and you need it to function in a certain way, whether it be an office, a meditation space, your family room, your living room, and you're you're just avoiding it. People usually find, in my experience, once they kind of get past that hurdle mentally where they've decided, okay, I'm going to tackle this, and they get the room completed, they're like, oh my God, I don't know how I lived without this for so long. Like it does support you. It's Mm -hmm. supportive for sure. What I would say to that, like you were living, but you weren't thriving in your home. Right. So you were living without that space, but you weren't thriving. Yeah, it's funny because I have this saying where I say like, you got to survive the move, but then you have to thrive in your new life. So it's like, and surviving the move is a lot. Let's face it. It's one of the, it's a big life stressor, even when you plan for it, it's a lot. And I do think Mm -hmm. once people get in and they're like, oh my God, they take a deep breath and they're like, I just can't think about it anymore. And I I can relate to that. But I think that once you start to get settled, if you really want to thrive in your new home, in your new community, the new schools, whatever in your life and function that that stuff has to be in place too. So then it's sort of like, the part two of the plan has to be made so that that can happen. Yeah, that's a very good point is just to not just survive and just live in your house, but really live in your house and thrive, right? Yeah, and I think maybe even just sitting down and just taking a couple of minutes and saying like, what do I need to feel safe Mm -hmm. and comfortable in my home? And that's gonna look different for everyone. Right. You know, for some people, safety means like I have to make sure that I have all the doors, the locks are changed. 
and that I, I watched it happen. You know, maybe that's what it means for safety. And for other people, safety might mean I finally get the king size bed that I've wanted and I'm no longer, you know, fighting for space with my spouse in our bed or whatever it is. Think about right. what you need from your home and how yeah. are you going to get those needs met? Yeah. And I tell people that too, like, cause I think with home design, there's a lot of feeling like you have to sort of do what everyone else is doing, but you have to do what works for you. Like there's trends, there's styles that can be incorporated, but ultimately it's got to work for you and your family. You know, I even break that down in the home, like living rooms and dining rooms over the last couple decades have kind of become obsolete in the way we used mm -hmm. to use them. And so I tell people not to be afraid to like take that room and maybe the dining room becomes more of like a den library or a game. Like it's okay to do that with your space and use it the way that you want to live. So yeah, I think it's important because there is a mind home connection. I'm really into the psychology of home because I think it has a big impact on our lives. I think it did before COVID when we were busy and not home as much because I felt like it had to be the landing pad, the crash pad that supported mm -hmm. everything during the hecticness. And then during COVID, when we were just stuck within those walls and having to do every function, it brought to light even more. So in both scenarios, it's important. You know, it is our home base for sure. Absolutely. My accessory course is here. So to grab it, you can go to my website and click on course. Or if you go to my Instagram page, click the link in bio. That's right. I'm bringing it to you because over the last several years, it has been one of the top requested things that I get asked. And it just so happens it's what I'm really passionate about and what I've always loved to do. I always felt like your home wasn't fully dressed until I brought in that last layer and I loved doing it. And I love styling for my photo shoots. And most of the time I bring in all the accessories and get everything styled for a photo shoot. Guess what? The client wants to keep it all. Well, I'm going to show you my secrets, my tips, my tricks. It's going to be in a really simple video course broken up into modules that are going to be easy for you to get resources, solutions, and really quick wins at an affordable price, all with direction from me. So you can have your home looking like those sitting in a magazine or how I set them up for photo shoots really easily. I'm super excited. So if you're scratching your head about what to put on your coffee table, what to put on your mantle, how to arrange it, what to put in your bookcases, you're going to want to go click that link in bio and get this course at a very affordable price. I hope to see you there. Okay, so now we're going to shift gears a little. And uh, a big topic that's come up recently is going back to work in person. So a lot of people during the pandemic, particularly working moms, I think there were a lot of challenges working from home, trying to balance kids and family and work. But at the same time, a lot of people kind of liked it too. And so when mm -hmm. work started to get called back now, whether it's part-time or full-time, it was a little bit jarring because it was like, oh gosh. And I think you just got set into a routine. And so anxiety kind of comes up with that because a lot of people have been home a couple of years. Now they're kind of used to the fact that they could run and grab their kids or take them to the doctor's appointment and they were home. And I think the other part for my audience is when they were working in the city and living in the city, the commuting time was minimal. Now they're in the suburbs and they're going to have to commute into the city or a city, commute back. That adds a lot of extra time to the day. So now you're probably getting home much later than you would when you were you know, working. So I think a lot of 
a lot of issues come up and it's creating a lot of anxiety. So I wanted you to just speak to that topic a bit and we can talk about those various things. Sure. So, you know, when you're talking about commuting, if this is something, you know, if maybe your commute was very short, you had 10, 15 mm. minutes door to door, you probably, your brain was probably using that 10 to 15 minutes to start running through your day. When like as soon as I get to my desk, hit the ground running, this is what I have to get done. This is what my day looks like. This is my first meeting is, et cetera, et cetera. And now that maybe your commute's 45 minutes or an hour or even longer, I would encourage people who now have a commute that to think about how can I use it productively? And productivity does not have to be work-related. Productivity can be happiness-related. So maybe it's thinking about getting an Audible subscription or listening to a podcast that feels good or it gives you information that you, you know. I love true crime podcasts. It's something I I listen to all the time. And for me, I use my my time in the car to like call my friends who I don't get to chat with very often because I'm home. The minute I, you know, I'm in the door, my toddler has needs. My husband wants to catch up from the day. He's got questions about what's for dinner. I'm trying to pick up. I'm, you know, as soon as I walk in the door, well, all bets are off and I no longer, anyone else, no one has access to me essentially, except for the people within my home, just out of necessity. So Sure. I like to use my commute time to catch up with my friends or call my mom or my sister or use that time for myself productively in a way that feeds my mental health. Right. If you're commuting by train too, like you can still listen to podcasts, all that. It's a great time to read if you need to catch up on any reading and you can do work and things like that when you're on the train, if there's any work or just like household sort of stuff, notes, whatever. It's just journal. You could journal it is good time that you can make use of where, like you said, the advantage is it's quiet and you don't really get that when you're home. Yeah. And if, you know, maybe if it helps to think about like one day a month, like maybe you pay your bills on your commute. I used to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I did on my commute. I used to pay my bills. You don't have to do when you come home. If your home is your sanctuary, your home is your, your safe place, your calm place, take things that are stressful out of the home and use your commute for it. Because then in your brain, you're having this separation between that stressful task and your home. Yeah. So if there's things that you don't like doing, do them on your commute. The message you're sending your brain is that like, your brain isn't making a connection between those two things. So like, you have to make a dentist appointment and you're just dreading it. Use your commute to make that phone call. And then it's done. You can start your day knowing it's you've taken care of it. There's a thing called like eat the frog. So when you eat the frog is you're doing your most disgusting, revolting task first. And then uh-huh. you're allowing uh-huh. yourself to have some space for you get rid of it. So, you know, if you use your commute to eat the frog, the things that you don't want to do or are giving you anxiety or making you feel stressed out, use your commute for those tasks. And then they're done. And then you can go into work knowing they, that they're taken care of. And then maybe your home commute is when you wind down and you read and you listen to a podcast. Right. You call your friends and you kind of prime the pump for coming home and feeling refreshed and rejuvenated. And then going in into your home, it's not chaotic because you give yourself that space to decompress. Yeah, I like that. Use your commute to feed the frog. That's good. That's a good one. 
How about just that general overall feeling of anxiety being called back to work after just being in such a routine for so long of working from home? Do you have anything to help ease that or habits that might help ease that? I don't know, any any advice there? Because I think that's a real thing for people. So I, if that was a client that was coming to me with that problem, I would ask them about what were the feelings when you had to go work from home? For a lot of people, it was anxiety producing. Like, I don't have a workspace at home. I have children who are in and out. They're doing remote schooling. How am I going to make all of this work? Mm -hmm. What did you do then to help you get through that? So, you know, it was, you know, I took control and I set a boundary with my husband and I said, if I'm working from home, then I need this space. I need the door shut. I need the children occupied from this hour to this hour. Whatever it was that Mm -hmm. you did to gain back control, because that's really what anxiety is, is our need Mm -hmm. for control. When you're thinking about going back or transitioning back to the office, what can you do? What can you give yourself to feel a little bit more in control? So maybe Mm -hmm. it's going in before your first day, if possible, and wiping your desk down, getting your things set up, you know, getting that March 2020 calendar off the wall. Right. Whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is that you need to feel weird, yeah. comfortable again at work, let yourself have that. What was That's your routine like before you went back? Did you always stop for a donut at a certain little place? Start doing right. that again. What made you feel good about going to the office? Is it, you know, was it seeing coworkers that you didn't used to see? Maybe it's planning yeah. a lunch once a week with someone in your office that you enjoy spending time with. Like, Try to find little pieces of joy that you can about going back. That's really good advice because I think we're really creatures of habit, right? So if we look at our Mm -hmm. habits, like what we did when we were at work and we we can kind of go back to some of those, it'll feel comfortable, right? Yeah. We like things that are familiar and we like consistency. Our brains thrive on consistency. That concept is the reason that like, you know, once, you, you know, if you've moved to a new town, maybe the first couple of times you went to Target, you had to put it in your GPS because you just wanted to be sure that you went the right way. But after a couple of times, your brain has now formed that memory. It's made mm-hmm. connections. Your brain knows how to get to Target without GPS. So yeah. the same thing about going back to work, you just have to kind of re, you can go on vacation or move away mm-hmm. and come back and you know your way around the town you grew up in for the most part, you know, the roads haven't changed. Maybe the, right. some of the locations, you know, maybe there's, some, there's new stores or like a new restaurant has popped up, but the roads are the same. Same thing with yeah. going back to work. Your brain has already, you've done it before. There may be some new things mm-hmm. about it, that may, but for the most part, you can, your brain knows how to get around. You just have to yeah. reintroduce it again. Yeah. And you just have to get back in the swing of things, I think, and look at all the positive aspects because now it could be like, oh, now I get to actually see some of my coworkers. Maybe it's a couple times a week or, and, and maybe, you know, a lot of people are having a nice balance where they're able to work maybe part-time from home and then part in the office. And that's, that's kind of the best of both worlds. Probably some people have been called fully back. So everybody's situation is a little bit different. And some people are still working fully from home. And I think there's some people working from home that would like to be called back in. So it probably runs the spectrum, right? Of what's going on. But it did come up with some clients that I have and it just seemed to be a topic, you know, that was out there. So I thought you would be good to address it. So that was really good advice that you gave. 
this has been great. I thank you for kind of letting me reach out to you just after seeing you kind of randomly in a, in a magazine and joining me because it's been a really nice connection. And I'd like to close the show by having you give any other tips or advice if you have, and also let listeners know where they can find you, any websites or social media platforms you want to direct them to. We will put it all in the show notes, Kate. Sure. So I guess I would just leave your audience with, if there's something about your home that you don't love, then it it needs Mm -hmm. to change. Your home should be the safest Mm -hmm. place, the most comfortable place. It should be a place where you literally feel the most at home, where you just can Mm -hmm. completely drop everything and be yourself without being uncomfortable, without sitting on awkward furniture, all of that stuff. So, And that all comes down to, Mm -hmm. to worth. And if you feel like it's not, you're not worthy of your home, that you don't deserve this home, mm-hmm. then maybe do some inner work around that because you worked hard for it. You deserve the home that you're living in. You know what? In that's you a big thing that you just said. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's a big thing you just said because I actually have had some clients like that. They grew up very modestly mm-hmm. and then they were, they were self-made, worked very hard and they were able to kind of have this big home. And I actually think, and I know from a couple of them, they almost felt guilty or mm-hmm. like there was something maybe not deserving what you just said. And that was preventing them. That's super, super good. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's like a big thing. <laughs> you deserve it. You worked hard for it. All the good thing. And you should fill your home with the good things that you, that you want, because again, you deserve it. And if you feel like you don't deserve mm-hmm. it, then maybe it's time to talk to someone about where some of that stuff is coming from. Right. So interesting and how all this stuff comes up in different ways in our lives, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's, if you've bought a home and you feel guilty about it, you know, that doesn't feel good. You know, you're going right. to feel icky about being in that space. And that's yeah. not why you bought the home. You bought the home because it was a place that you wanted to feel happy in. Right. Yeah. So that's like a personal thing you got to work on. Yeah. And I think once you work on that, then you feel like, okay, I can buy a sofa that's comfortable. (laughs) I mean, I know it sounds funny, but it's true. I mean, I I see it happen. It's like a mental block. It's a mindset issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, when I, when I had my daughter, we were home like two days and I had this bassinet my sister-in-law like gave us that was like super old. I'm like, yeah, this is fine. She'll, you know, whatever I'll take it. And we were home two nights and she didn't sleep. She screamed her head off and we went and bought a snoo. And uh-huh. if you're not familiar, a snoo is a $1,200 bassinet that rocks and has white noise and all this. And for a split second, I was like, do I deserve this? You know, this, or do I? and I was yeah. like, yes, yes, I deserve sleep. I deserve peacefulness. I deserve, I just went through, right? you know, this <laughs> through hell to bring this child into the world. Right, I, I can right. deserve a $1,200 bassinet that brings her comfort and brings me comfort. But we, you know, we, oh, we do that. Our brains immediately go to, oh, you know, is this is a big purchase. Am I making the right choice? Yes. Right. <laughs> it makes you feel good. It's going to bring you peace. It's going to bring you happiness. Do it. Yeah. That's good advice. Best places to find you, Kate. Yeah. So the best place to find me on Instagram is it's Kate Ecke, K-A-T-E-C-K-E. And if you're looking for the unconventional therapist, it's just the unconventional therapist on Instagram. Great. Yeah. We'll put all that in the show notes and clickable links so you can find Kate there. I really appreciate this chat today. I think that we touched on a lot of important things that people are feeling and maybe don't 
know how to recognize and kind of get past. So I'm really glad you were here to guide us through that. And I think you gave some really good information for people to kind of get started with, you know, thinking about these things so they can kind of move forward. So I appreciate it so much, Kate. Thanks, John. I I appreciate you recognizing the importance of mental health in the home and how those two things are very closely connected and bringing some awareness and attention to it. Yes. As I always say, it is a symbiotic relationship there. (laughs) It really is. So (laughs) anyhow, thanks again. And I hope that we will chat soon. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Take care. You too. And as always, you're going to want to always head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com. I've got a wonderful new freebie for you called the Room Planner. And most of the time that you're not getting your house decorated, it's because you don't have a plan in place. This helps you cover it all and get it in motion so you can accomplish your home design goals. Go grab it now. It's totally free. And my course is also still available on the website along with so much more. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.